Don't spend summer sweating your home's AC. Right now, the Daikin Comfort Pros at Legacy Heating and Air are giving you over $1,000 in rebates when you purchase a Daikin Fit Smart System. This revolutionary system is designed to fit your space and your budget. Or upgrade to a Daikin AC today and save with payment options as low as $69 per month. Elevate your home's comfort this summer with a new AC from Legacy and Daikin. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com to qualify now. A Cook Family Business. Welcome, everybody, to Football Never Sleeps. And sometimes sports writers never sleep either, but we're awake tonight. We're ready to take your questions, and we're ready to talk Notre Dame football. This is the aspiring-to-be-viral Notre Dame football show that runs every week, Monday, 7 Eastern time, until 8-ish, so you won't miss much of the voice if you're a big fan of that show. Uh, We also take your questions and your comments we do not encourage whining, so try to um, phrase your question in a non-whiny way if you want to join us. We've got lots to talk about. We're going to look ahead to this week's um, showdown at Duke, number 17 Duke. Game day is going to be there. We have some recruiting news. We're going to look back and do our math on the Ohio State game and a lot more, but I'm going to throw it to Tyler so he can tell you about a special offer we have for our YouTube viewers, as well as how to ask questions. Yeah, so let me get to the promo first. Uh, we have now made available a 30-day free trial to our YouTube audience. Um, and so you need to use the promo code NDYT. I put it on the screen here. Also, I put in the comments a link that'll take you right there with the code already in there for you. But if you just go to sign up for InsideNDSports.com and and try to get a subscription, um, if you put in that code, you will get a 30-day free trial. So N-D-Y-T. And uh, we wanted to be able to get some of our folks who watch us over here to give us a try over on InsideNDSports.com to get access to all of our premium analysis and recruiting coverage that you won't necessarily get elsewhere. Um, So that is available to you all moving forward. We will have that um, available for the foreseeable future, but we wanted to Make that available to you guys because we appreciate all the support that you give us here. As Eric mentioned, we want to take your questions during the show tonight, so make sure that you submit those. You can submit those if you're on a desktop on the right-hand side. Uh, There should be a a chat or comment box, and then uh, if you are on a mobile device of some sort, the comment box should be below. Make sure that you have clicked through to YouTube if you are watching the link embedded on, on our website or on the message board, the entire lounge. Um, because you won't be able to comment that way. So make sure you click through to join us. I think most of you have have it down by now, but I, I do know we have a lot of new viewers from time to time, and, and you would be surprised by the the viewing age. Or at least, I guess I wouldn't say you should be surprised. I'm a little surprised by the viewing age, um, and I'm happy that many of you are able to join us on YouTube uh, and know how to use YouTube because I, I don't know that I could uh, – have uh, my parents be as uh, successful at, at watching and commenting as some of you folks are? Well, my mom doesn't watch the show, but she does ask <laughs> about it. So, um, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, for those of you really eager to get into the power of ten versus the power of eleven, we're going to get to that. But we want to start by spinning toward Duke first because. That's what the team really needs to do at this point. We will get into the other parts of this. Um, We do need to clean up some details from the Ohio State game. But let's first look at the changes on the depth chart this week for Duke. A swap of holder for place kicks, a couple of injuries. So what have we got going that we needed to change on our depth chart this week? Yeah, as tends to be the case on the official depth chart, the news is a little bit delayed in getting there. Uh, the holder change actually happened last week um, and Bryce McPherson replaced Dylan Devison as the holder for Spencer Schrader's field goals for the Ohio state game, even though that wasn't necessarily reflected on the depth chart pregame. Um, unfortunately for Notre Dame, that first field goal attempt with uh, Bryce McPherson as the holder, who is also Notre Dame's punter um, and Spencer Schrader was a missed attempt. Uh, they did manage to make both extra point attempts together. Um, so, that was a change that needed to be reflected on the depth chart. And then in terms of injuries, we know for sure that Deion Colsey won't be playing this week. He will be receiving a knee scope surgery. 
Um, for those who may remember, Gabriel Rubio missed three games this season with a similar injury, needed a knee scope surgery after the Navy game and then returned just this past week against Ohio State. Colsey didn't play against Ohio State. He hasn't caught a pass since the Navy game when he had three catches. He's played 51 offensive snaps in the first four games. So I, that's certainly a loss for Notre Dame, but one that they have sort of moved away from using more, and I think that's related to his, his knee injury. Uh, Marcus Freeman said that Deion Colsey felt that he wasn't able to sort of play to the level that he wanted to with this knee issue that he's been dealing with, so they're going to clean it up um, and, and take care of that and get him back for later in the season. Jaden Thomas is also dealing with an injury. You may remember during the game he he went down for a little bit and missed some time. He's dealing with a, a hamstring strain is what Marcus Freeman called it, so he deemed him as questionable. We will see if he's able to play um, against Duke later this week. I, obviously, Jaden Thomas's absence would be a bigger loss at this point. He's the team leader in receptions with 13 and receiving yards with 195. He also leads Notre Dame's wide receivers in offensive snaps with close to 200. Um, that will lead to whether or not um, Jaden Thomas plays, Rico Flores will continue to play more. I think that's why we saw him play more against Ohio State. Um, and I think especially if Jaden Thomas is out, um, Rico Flores essentially becomes a probably a starting receiver for Notre Dame um, because they they're starting to thin at, at the at the wide receiver position with with some numbers there. So um, something that Notre Dame definitely has to be concerned about moving forward with the wide receiver health. Right. So um, let's back up real quick to the holder. Um, I I don't think that this is an unnatural move. It's it's becoming less and less typical, at least at Notre Dame, for a quarterback to be the primary holder. It, it used to be that, you know, the backup quarterback was a natural because they have good hands. And because if you were going to do a fake, it's what better person to throw a pass than the backup quarterback. But the thing is, when when practices are going on, Sometimes that scout or fourth string quarterback has got to be the scout team quarterback. So he's not always available to work on holding and so forth. And this, it seems like the specialists are kind of more comfortable kind of doing their own thing. So having the punter seems like a more natural fit for holder. Um, as it's far weird, as the weird timing though, like why, why now? Um, I mean, well, he, he remember, was... remember in 2014 when it became a crisis? Yeah. You remember that? I mean, I've never in my life had to say in a press box, who's the backup holder? Because it was such a disaster. I think it was in the Arizona State game. Uh, and <laughs> it, it really was a disaster. And, and Notre Dame had to make a change. But that may have been, yeah, you would have said, why didn't that get ironed out in the spring and so forth? I mean, some of it might have been with a new special teams coach and so forth. And the fact that the kicker has been kicking very long, but not necessarily accurately to this point. Yeah. So I mean, said, hey, just, that holder. <laughs> it's just strange that what two games after setting the school record for longest field goal, you change holders. Not that Spencer Strader has been having a ton of success with his accuracy, yeah. but um, it, I, to me, it's not a good sign that Notre Dame is, is, is messing with that. Obviously there's something that needs to be fixed there. Um, and whatever that fix was didn't necessarily work to success on a 47-yarder against Ohio State. So I, it, this is – at this point, to me, I think it's a, it's an ongoing concern, what the field goal accuracy – and maybe that's being a little too harsh with the length of field goals that they're attempting, but if those are the only field goals they're going to attempt, those are going to be the ones that he's judged on. All right. So the wide receiver um, – and I'm not sure if that person – we've had somebody was – bugging me on Twitter about it today and was seemed pretty upset that Notre Dame didn't have more wide receivers on the roster. Look, even with, if they don't have Jaden Thomas and um, Deion Colsey down now, obviously those guys play the same position. They play boundary receiver. They still have five healthy receivers that they've been using quite often. They also have freshman Braylon James, they have freshman Jordan Faison, who is a walk-on, who they would have to burn a scholarship for if they used him in a game because he's a 
two-sport athlete. He's a lacrosse athlete, but he's super fast and was impressive during fall camp. You also have some running backs like Jeremiah Love who could line up as a wide receiver and run some routes for you. I guess the biggest thing, though, Tyler, to me is, do you have a true boundary receiver? Do you do you move Tobias over there and let Rico Flores play the field? You flip flop that. What do you do? I put, I put Flores. I put Flores at the boundary. Rather we than, better change our depth chart because I made the opposite guess. Um, I think I need to. Re, I, I didn't review the latter half of the game um, close enough to see if that's what's happening. I think that is what happened with Thomas going out. I okay. think Flores played in Thomas's spot. Um, and that's why Flores' snap count is is that much higher than it normally would be. Um, I think Tobias hasn't had enough success at the field position that I would feel comfortable moving around. I want him to be more successful yeah. in his natural spot than before I would move him around. So I think Rico well, Flores, Flores has more heft to him. I mean, they're one pound difference, but Flores is a shorter receiver. Yeah, I so think it does Flores, make some sense moving him into the boundary. Flores plays a little more physical. I think beyond that, if Thomas is out, I would maybe entertain Jaden Greathouse on the yep. outside at some too. I think you have to move him around and probably lean on Chris Tyree more solely out of the slot. I would rather move Greathouse outside yeah. than Tyree outside, I think. Um, I so I think those are the things that Notre Dame has to sort of think about. The numbers aren't great, um, but I, I went back and looked at Notre Dame's wide receiver usage the previous three games. They were mostly running a six-man rotation against NC State and CMU um, with that most of those snaps go into the top five guys. Colsey had eight as the sixth man against CMU. The Great House had 12 as the sixth man against NC State. And so then they got down to a five-man rotation without Colsey um, against Ohio State. So I don't know. I, I would like to think that they probably can't just do a four-man rotation if Thomas is out. Um, and so who do you bring up as that fifth guy? Because then you're left with Merriweather, Flores, Tyree, and Greathouse. Um, I think then you you see, well, is Braylon James ready to go? I, I think if he's ready, I think you have to use him. You can't worry about saving a red shirt at this point if, if he's ready to go. Maybe you re revisit the Jordan Faison conversation as someone who we liked as a, as a walk-on player who's also a lacrosse player. Um those are the two guys that I think are sort of next in line of being potentially elevated if uh, if Jaden Thomas can't go and if Matt Salerno isn't going to be back anytime soon. We haven't received an update on that. Certainly him getting back would, would alleviate this a little bit as well. I probably would. If I were Notre Dame, I would probably have Ford running some patterns this week. Um, Jeremiah Love has been so effective as a wide receiver and – you know, when they went to multiple running back sets, you did see him split out and, and he could do it too. But I think Devin Ford is probably the guy that's not getting a whole lot of usage that you could get some mileage out of as a slot receiver, a fill in. And remember, at some point, they're going to get KK Smith back this year. I think we're talking next month rather than this month, mm -hmm. uh, who had shoulder surgery. So there are receivers that are going to be coming back. We're not sure how long. Matt Salerno is going to be out. He can really play a couple different spots as well. I, I would envision K.K. Smith being more of a field receiver than anything else or, right. or possibly a slot, but not a boundary receiver. Yeah. And I, Unless he's the, muscling up. <laughs> yeah, he's been muscling up in the pit. Um, if I think we'll also see continued more usage of the tight end, certainly as Mitchell Evans has shown more – um, capability as a receiver. We've seen what Holden stays can do. I think they, they have to have the same level of trust in the passing game and the running game for both those guys to continue to play at a, um, a high count. Um, but I think those are there's just a number of different ways I think Notre Dame will go about maybe helping itself out and not putting itself in a bad position with its, its lack of wide receivers. Um, but certainly it is getting to a point where Notre Dame has to be smart and careful and um, maybe design things around it's wide receiver situation where when that hasn't been the case until until this point of the season. Okay, now at the other positions, we saw shortened rotations for the first time this year. A total of 38 players 
played on offense and defense had been in the 50s or more, uh, you know, got up into the 70s for the Tennessee State game. So there were guys like Jason Anye that didn't get any snaps who'd been playing and playing well. Uh, Jaden Mickey didn't play. Um, and, and so uh, Jack Kaiser got 10 snaps. Jalen Sneed got 11. So I'm wondering, Tyler, what your thought is. Having seen that, do you think that that was a smart strategy against Ohio State? And do you think it's better against Duke and a quarterback that runs around a lot and Riley Leonard to maybe go back to a deeper rotation, at least on defense? Yes, I do think it was a good strategy against Ohio State. I think it's hard to argue too much with the results of a 17-point output for Ohio State with the last seven coming in the final second of the game. Um, so I think it made sense. You had to have your best talent on the field to match up with Ohio State's talent level. And Notre Dame can only do so much schematically to make up for that. And certainly you you do things schematically and use your talent together to to try to stop Ohio State. And that's what they did pretty consistently, uh, except for some um, some blips throughout the game. I think moving forward, it's going to be position specific and matchup specific. I think the defensive line will probably get back to rotating more. I think it's hard to lean on four or five guys so heavily on the defensive line. And then I think you, you'll so you'll see more of that. I think it was also a little bit easier in the Ohio State game, and I think they're probably prepared to go a little bit deeper. But the pace of the game was in a way where Notre Dame's offense was sustaining drives, so there wasn't like a lot of three and outs for Notre Dame's offense. So the defense wasn't necessarily getting gassed because they were being asked to play all the time. It was it was a game that Notre Dame led in time of possession by a decent amount, um, and that allowed Notre Dame to rely on its top end guys on defense. And so I don't think that they're going to have to do that as much moving forward. I wouldn't think against Duke, even in the secondary, like Jaden Mickey, I understand not using him because I think it was tough to do all the, you're, you don't want to take Cam Harton and Benjamin Morrison off the field. And they're, they're liking to play Jaden Mickey more outside than at, and at Nickelback. Then um, that that's where his, his reps disappear. I think, Safety, I think it will probably continue to see rotation there and maybe more um, moving forward. I think they liked the sort of leadership that they have back there and the experience, um, especially against Ohio State. So I, I think defensively we'll get back to more, uh, what we are more used to in terms of the rotation. But I like the I like the fact that they're willing to shrink that down in, in big moments because sometimes it's just like, okay, do we really need to see – a second string defensive tackle or, or a third string defensive tackle in a situation here, just because you, you came in with that plan during the game or before the game. So I, I like that they're being adaptive with it and figuring out what's the best way to do it. Um, and uh, certainly I think there's arguments for other positions that could rotate more. Um, I know we have a question in the, in the chat um, about Maris Leofau and, and his role. Um, with him being rather unproductive in the in the uh, box score, um, despite playing so much as a linebacker, uh, so I, I think there's a lot of different things. And then on offense, obviously the running back position will continue to rotate. There's not a lot of receivers left, and I don't. And, I, and they're certainly not going to be start rotating a lot on the offensive line. So I don't think the offense will will change too much. But I do think we'll see more defensive rotation moving forward. What which position group on the defense would you like to see more rotation with, or would you rather them? continue to play the way they did against Ohio State? I think you made some really good points. Uh, I don't want to take all the thunder away from the guy with the Maris Leofau question, but uh, for a guy that plays at such a high level in Jack Kaiser, I thought there's and, – and help make the fourth down stop uh, on the previous possession at the Notre Dame 11 – I'm wondering why Jack Kaiser wasn't in the goal line package rather than playing nickel mm -hmm. uh, at, at the one-yard line. That seemed to me um, to be not necessary because then you're not really worried about your rover and his downfield speed. Um, you're, you're looking for somebody that's savvy that's going to be able to diagnose a play, not saying that Thomas Harper couldn't. I'm wondering about maybe, that, but I'm, maybe Jack Kaiser would have realized that he didn't have a defensive end in front of him. Exactly. So 
I mean, 10, 10 snaps for Jack Kaiser seems like for a guy that consistently plays well and in, in the fact that Leofout did not have a single statistic in the game and played almost all the snaps, that seems to be um, that seems to be a miss for me. Um, now, I think as Notre Dame goes through this next set of quarterbacks, I do think they'll have to rotate more linemen with Riley Leonard being maybe, I mean, one of the best running quarterbacks in the country and a guy that can wing it too. And then you have Jack Plummer with Louisville. You have Caleb Williams, who's going to run all over the place. I think you want to bring some waves at those guys. Then have your best guys fresh in the fourth quarter uh, and then maybe not substitute out in the fourth quarter. But um, I'm willing to see, you know, Ben Morrison and Cam Hart can play all the snaps at cornerback. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I think, I think that that works. And I, I think that Notre Dame, I, I, I think the, the issues I had with Notre Dame were more in the game were more maybe play calling specific than they were rotation specific. I, I didn't have a lot of issues with the rotation, although um, I didn't like him. We'll, we'll talk about it later. Audrick Estime being pulled out in Notre Dame's four last last offensive drive, trying to kill the clock. Um, and and so like the the Kaiser Harper thing is more of a personnel decision than it is like a rotational decision. Um, I'm not really sure why they chose to run nickel in that situation either, because the um, Ohio State was running two tight ends both before and after Notre Dame took a timeout. Um, so that was a little bit of an eyebrow raiser. So that was a, a smart thing to point out. And you would think that Kaiser would be an, a decent player to have out there. And Jalen Snead broke up a pass in a, in a, in a goal line situation earlier in the game. And he, he wasn't out on the field either. And I can, I, I think I understand why he's not on the field in that situation a little bit more, but um, certainly interesting personnel that was put on the field for those final two defensive plays. Okay. Um, we wanted to move next to the Duke thumbnail and then to the whole math problem on the field. Do we want to go to questions before we get to that point? Yeah, I think, I think let's go to questions. We got all kinds of questions um, from different topic areas, but I, I think let's get those and then we can sort of circle back with what we haven't uh, sort of hit on. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave some of the 10 man stuff out um, because I think we'll, we'll hit that pretty hard, but we'll, uh, and we can maybe use those questions when we get to that part of the show. Okay. Um, Ron Robert asked, with the injuries to the receiving core, do you think Braylon James and, and Jordan Faison will play on Saturday? I think Braylon James will. I'm going to ask about Faison on Thursday during our Zoom with Marcus um, and maybe even ask um, Jared Parker to, Tuesday night when we talk to him and see what his thoughts are and then – I think Jordan Faison probably would have played by now again if they didn't have to commit a scholarship to him playing because, again, he's a two-sport athlete. So if he plays for the football team and he's going to be a star in lacrosse, we think, um, then he has to take the football scholarship. The NCAA has a hierarchy of how those scholarships go with multiple sport athletes so you don't stash, you know, um, you know, a rowing, a guy on the rowing team on the football team and have him on a rowing scholarship to get an extra scholarship player and so forth. So Faison, maybe Braylon James, I think definitely plays. Yeah, I would say Braylon only plays if Jaden Thomas doesn't play. And I'm um, assuming Jaden Thomas isn't going to. And, and, and so then I think Braylon would... The, the phase on thing, I think it's easier to avoid having to use him, even if you move Great House out to an outside receiver position. As I mentioned, Tyree's snaps aren't that high in terms of being Notre Dame's starting slot receiver. He played 14 against Central Michigan, played 18 against Ohio State. He was up to 22 against NC State. So I think adding more to his plate isn't wouldn't be too much to handle for him. Um, certainly. You, you hope a guy that caught 20,000 balls in the summer, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> right, right, right. So I, I, and like, like we said earlier, the two tight end stuff will, will sort of takes the need for slot receivers away. And that's what Jordan, Jordan Faison would play. He's a slot receiver. Certainly he could be used in the return games as well, but I think slot receiver is where he would be used on offense. And I don't know that that is the, 
highest concern with the wide receiver uh, depth chart currently. So I'm not quite convinced that he will be added to the mix yet. All right, let's do this question uh, from Bob Alvey about Maris Leofau. Uh Heard Maris Leofau answer, or, or Marcus Freeman, sorry. Marcus Freeman answered a question today on Maris Leofau, 61 snaps, no stats. I thought he looked a little surprised, but stated he was happy with his play. Please ask Golden the role for the position Maris plays. Um, and then we are not Marshall uh, on the Maris Leofau topic says, what is Maris niche? What exactly does he bring to the defense besides a big old goose egg? Well, he didn't didn't bring a big old goose egg in the first three games. This was the Maris Leaf. I mean, he was the surprise of the team, really. Right. He was this was the Maris Leafow we thought we were gonna say. Even when I did a one-on-one with Todd Blackledge, who did the analyst work for NBC Saturday night, he said Maris jumped off the film on him. Now, um, in the last game against Central Michigan, he was not as apparent. And in this game, he was almost invisible. I mean, when they blitzed him or when he just rushed the passer, he didn't get home. And his run fits didn't seem to be, again, this is watching live and watching full speed, but his run fits didn't seem to be very good. Um, when you look at his pro football focus grade, it wasn't very good. He didn't have any stats. How does that happen in a game like that um, with your weak side linebacker? That's almost unheard of. Well, it actually is unheard of. Um, so, I mean, it's almost like playing with 10 men on defense. Um, but Marist's role, Marist's role, he he does different things depending on what packages they are. He's sometimes rushing the passer. He's sometimes blitzing. He's supposed to be playing the run. He's a guy that can drop into coverage, cover a running back or cover a tight end. Uh, so he does bring some versatility. But, you know, Marcus Freeman mentioned, well, maybe he wasn't completely healthy. If that's the case, then Jack Kaiser should be playing more or Jalen Sneed should be playing more. Both of those guys can play that position. Uh, so it's a little bit baffling to me. I end up talking to Al Golden a lot on Tuesday nights, and I have a feeling that we'll have that conversation. Yeah, I think Maris' role in the defense should be as a playmaker, and when he's not making any plays at all, then it's like, okay, what are, what are we doing with, with his role? Are we asking him to do too little? It, it's funny to me because in the previous scheme with Clark Lee, the will linebacker was absolutely swallowing up tackles that's where jd bertrand became uh such a high tackler it was just that that role was almost designed to make plays and make tackles and that and hasn't been where the... drew tranquil played as last year exactly and th that hasn't been the case with this defensive scheme or maris leofow in that will linebacker role um i think it's it's both related to the scheme and leofow's play um maybe more the scheme because i if there were that many tackles available for Maris Leofile, I don't think he would end up with zero. Um, but I, I do think that he's not at times. And uh, I think this, this is a, an outlier for the season. I think, I don't think this is how Maris Leofile has played for the, the full slate of the season. He was just not, not a big factor there. I think I'm pretty certain on the long touchdown run that Ohio state had Maris Leofile gets eaten up by a polling uh, lineman. Um, and that creates an edge that, Travion Henderson is allowed to get around and Notre Dame doesn't really have anyone protecting the edge in that situation as a result. Now, was, is Maris supposed to just plow into the pulling uh, lineman? Is he supposed to try to keep an edge to make Travion cut back? I'm not certain, um, but whatever the plan was there wasn't executed at a high enough level. Um, and then Xavier Watts missed a tackle um, that, that, uh, that leads to the, the long touchdown run. So um, Maris, needs to make plays and when he's not he i think a lot of his value as a linebacker is lost and so I, that's why these questions come up when he's not making plays all right ed straub asked question what changed first half to second to make the running game work so well for notre dame i think um that's what ed means but i'm not certain Well, I think some of it was Jeremiah Love got involved 
and it seemed like they were hitting the holes quicker. They it just seemed like the plays were quicker and developing. You know, it wasn't like they used a lot of play action passes to kind of mix things up. I think there were only three play action passes. Is that what you got, Tyler? In the game, uh, I I have not. Okay. Tra- I did not track that. I down. think it's three three play action passes in the game. So, um, but they were definitely able to loosen Ohio State up. Uh, honestly, I haven't analyzed that part of it. It wasn't kind of going through my mind. So I'm going to lean on Tyler on this question since yeah. he was the one that pulled it up. Okay, and Ed did follow up to confirm that he did want us to talk about Notre okay. Dame, which is good because it would have been bad if you talked all that time about yeah. Notre Dame instead of Ohio State. Okay. Yeah, I do think some of the Jeremiah Love looks were giving Notre Dame different opportunities um, for everything that Audric Estimate does well as a running back. Uh, Jeremiah Love brings another gear to that position um, and a little bit more shiftiness. He was making some plays um, both – inside and outside, but he's able to get to the outside certainly faster. And so I think Notre Dame was just sort of mixing up a lot of different looks and making uh, and, multiple running back formations too. Yeah. Multiple running backs formations. They were doing some unbalanced lines. They were doing, they were doing two backs, but one of the backs was David Sherwood as a lead back sometimes. Um, so there was a lot of different things that were mixing and matching, I think, to try to find different ways to establish some consistency and some, uh, production from the running game um and so i i think that that led to it and then i think also even though there wasn't play action i think sam Hartman was having a little bit more success throwing the football in the second half and that that opens some things up for the running game as well so um i, I didn't see like seismic changes between the first and second half um but uh, i thought the execution was was a little bit better and Notre dame um sort of stuck with it. They didn't just sort of abandon the run. They, they kept with it. And that's in large part due to the defense's ability to keep it close. Um, so you don't have to start panicking when, when the running game isn't maybe executing as high of a level as you'd want it to early on. Okay, let's go to uh, Ron Roberts again. How is the sophomore backup kicker doing in practice? Any idea the transfer kicker may have a big leg, but is not really accurate at all. Uh, you know, we haven't asked about Yoakum, um, and we haven't really seen him since August in the practices. You know, th- there'd be times we'd see both of them kick. It, I mean, Schrader was accurate in practice, except for one practice. He was really accurate. And Yoakum, I mean, his 42-yard field goals would just eke over the crossbar if they made it. And Schraders were like going into the next county, going into Elkhart County. Um, so it's something if Marty Biaggi's made available this week, we can ask him about. But there hasn't been a whole lot of chatter about um, Yoakum and, and giving him a chance there. And again, based on what I saw in August, I'm not sure that that that's um, an option that I would exercise. I'd, I'd try this new holder theory and see if that works. <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah, I don't know what they've been doing in practice. I don't think they were very close at all from what we saw in the preseason. Um, and so I, I don't anticipate Notre Dame making a change. Um, they just have to figure out how to get Spencer Schrader Tra- back on track. They also, I mean, I will say this in Schrader's defense, to get him more leg strength, they changed his motion completely from what he was kicking at South Florida. Now that's given him another 10 yards on his field goals, but has it done it at the cost of accuracy? The good news is Marty Biagi was a college kicker. He should be able to sort this out. All right. Uh, another question from We Are Not Marshall. Eric and Tyler, I'm a huge fan of Riley Mills. At this point in his career, he is not the be in the backfield guy. He contains point of attack okay. Just tired of what I see and what I'm told he is, which is a very interesting way to end a sentence that start or end a paragraph that started with I'm a huge fan of Riley Mills. So I don't know if you are a huge fan uh, based well, on the way you talked think, about him. I think he's a little bit in the lines that you were, Tyler. I mean, we're talking about players that we were thinking about doing big preseason stories on. And you're like, you know, we've done the it's Riley Mills time story. 
sure. and I'm not going to do it again. And so I think this is what we are not Marshall was kind of saying, you know, I, I, I don't know that we were pushing the narrative that much, but I know that there's people on the beat that were comparing him to Jerry Tillery at his best. Um, and the thing about it is I think Riley Mills did not benefit from being a versatile player earlier in his career, bouncing inside and bouncing outside. Um, he did receive, ironically, received the highest um, grade of any player, at least on defense, of Notre Dame's players in the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. And some of that was based on his pressures. Now, he didn't get sacks, but he did push uh, Kyle McCord out of the pocket or to the edges where he was more vulnerable or he rushed some passes even though he wasn't credited with quarterback hurries, which is a very subjective stat based mm -hmm. on press box to press box. Yeah. But, but um, I, I don't know that you're going to see Riley Mills turn into a game wrecker, like some, you know, outstanding Notre Dame interior defensive lineman of the past. But I, I don't think he's part of their problem. I think, if Notre Dame had, let's say, Isaiah Foskey playing next to him, we'd see better Riley Mills stats just because Isaiah Foskey would command more attention than what the threesome that are playing Viper and right now are doing. So it's in the same way I think the nose guards are going to benefit because suddenly Javante Jean-Baptiste Seems like he's kind of found another gear. Now we'll see if that continues at Duke. But he had, I mean, he's playing at a much higher level than what I had seen him play early this season or in August. So I would, I understand your feelings about Riley Mills. Um, but I would say, you know, given the alternative, Notre Dame ought to be pretty happy they have him. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have to cop to like having that feeling preseason on Riley Mills that it's like, okay, I need him to be the, the next big thing rather than us talking about him being the next big thing. But I do think that his last couple of games have been pretty good. I thought even the NC State game, I thought he played solid. Um, I have not been as disappointed in Riley Mills this season as I, as I had been in previous years. Now, maybe that's just a reflection of my changing expectations for him throughout his career. Um, but I, th I thought, I think both him and Howard Cross are doing a really good job for Notre Dame from the inside. Um, now maybe they're sacrificing some run stuffing ability by leaning on their ability as pass rushers more um, because I think Notre Dame maybe needs that when they're not getting it from the uh, defensive end positions. And so I think both Riley and Howard have been getting pressures up the middle, um, forcing hurries, uh, getting penetration. Now those aren't necessarily turning into TFL. So I wonder if there's a better way for Notre Dame to accomplish that. Um, but I, I think that, that in my opinion, that the, the defensive tackle spots, um, and I guess specifically with Riley Mills, I don't think that's an issue. I do. I would like to see more rotation with, getting Jason Anye and Gabriel Rubio in the game because I think those guys can do good things as well. Um, and so maybe with both of those guys healthy now, Notre Dame can get in a better spot with Riley Mills not having to play as much um, in that in that role and then uh, get some um, better production out of out of all of those, those guys together. One thing I'll mention about Riley Mills is in his press conference, not this week, but after the Central Michigan game, he admitted not to being a time traveler. <laughs> that that would help, I think, but um, unfortunately, <laughs> he does not. Um, let, let's use this as a transition into our Duke conversation. Um, Jay Grizz says, who has the better QB in defense, Duke or Ohio State? In my opinion, Sam Hartman is a better college quarterback than, than Riley Leonard. I think – Riley Leonard has more of the traits that the NFL is looking for. Um, he does not have a very high pass efficiency rating. Sam Hartman is third. Riley Mills is around 50. I think he's in the high 40s um, it, out of 124 qualifiers. What suppresses his pass efficiency rating isn't 
percentage. He's about at 68%. He only has two touchdown passes this year. Zero interceptions. He doesn't throw a lot of downfield passes, and some of that is because of Duke's personnel. You almost have to watch the games to appreciate how good this guy is because he's got an uncanniness about knowing how to get in the right play or making a really bad play into a great play with his legs or with his savvy. He averages 8.2 yards per carry. He's got four rushing touchdowns. He rushes for 60 yards a game. I mean, Clemson's front seven is really good. They've got problems, but their front seven isn't part of the problem. And he was masterful and how he took over that game when it was at a very critical juncture. But I would take Sam Hartman as a college quarterback before I take Riley Leonard. As far as defense, you're looking well, Hold on, at, hold on. Let me let me okay. interrupt you. He asked okay. about Ohio State. Oh, Ohio State. Not uh not uh, not Sam Hartman. So Kyle so I think he wanted to to get a sense of is is the combination of Kyle McCord and Ohio okay. State's defense better or worse okay. than Duke's Riley Leonard and, and the Duke defense. Okay. Okay, so I'm combining the quarterbacks for both teams with the defenses for both. Well, teams. no, I think I you know I know I think you probably want to go one at a time. Is is Riley Leonard better than Kyle McCord? Okay, I would take Riley Leonard over Kyle McCord in a heartbeat. I would take Ohio State's receivers. I would take Ohio State's second and third team receivers <laughs> over Duke's receivers in a heartbeat. Kyle McCord's. Kyle McCord is going to be a good quarterback, and he showed that he had some poise in that last drive. I mean, that he has some talent, but I don't like the fact that he doesn't have the dimension of being able to run and being able to necessarily extend plays. I would take Riley uh, in a second, Riley Leonard. Okay, their defenses. So Ohio State came into that game, I think, third in the nation in total defense. Notre Dame was fourth. Duke is fourth this week, and Notre Dame is seventh. I would take Ohio State's defense. I, I think Duke is sound, but they give up. They have given up a lot of rushing yards, and they, other than Clemson, they haven't played prolific rushing teams. Right. And and so where that's where I think Ohio State has the advantage. Ohio State is in a better position with just their front seven to make it difficult to run. They don't need to really bring a safety into the box. I think Duke does. And if they do, then they're going to put themselves, you know, they're going to be vulnerable to the downfield passing game. So I'm sorry if I didn't answer that correctly the first time and went on and on about Sam Hartman. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, you still spoke to Riley Leonard and his capabilities. Um, I would take Riley Leonard over Kyle McCord as well. Um, Riley Leonard, to me, he sort of reminds me a little bit of the 2021 version of Brennan Armstrong, although I think his receivers at Duke aren't as good as Brennan Armstrong's receivers at Virginia were that season. But he just can make a lot of plays happen. Um, and I think he's a little bit more physical as a runner um, than Brennan Armstrong is. Um, he, he lacks those weapons around him, but he makes a lot of things happen, especially with his legs. Um, and so that is what Notre Dame is going to have to be concerned with. Um, as for... Duke's defense, I do think Duke's defense is good. I don't think they're as good as Ohio State's defense. Um, the talent level isn't isn't the same. Duke has done well. Duke, I think, is leaning a lot on its Clemson performance, and as it has a right to do, I think we need to see if if Duke can do that again, um, and that's that's what we're going to find out on Saturday, if, if um, Duke can, can, can do this against top-tier or close-to-top-tier offenses. Um, and I don't think that Clemson is a top tier offense right now. Um, and so I think that that certainly aided um, in Duke's ability to, to slow them down. All right. You want to talk about more Duke stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, when let's look at Duke's thumbnail. I mean, you have Riley Leonard. Um, overall, they played, you know, Clemson was their, you know, biggest challenge. They played Lafayette, they played Northwestern. They played at UConn. So besides Clemson, they haven't played, you know, a lot of good teams. You look at their offensive profile. They run it a lot more than they throw it. Um, 
you know, sacks allowed fourth in the country and sacks allowed, you know, they're kind of average in third down. They're a little bit less than average in red zone. They don't turn it over very often. So again, if you're going to beat them, you've got to beat them. They're not going to beat themselves. Defensively, like I mentioned, the rush defense would be a concern to me if I'm Mike Elko. They're not overly aggressive in terms of rushing the quarterback. Um, they're, they're bad part of their defense, and this ties into their run defense. They're 95th in third down defense, but they're very good in the red zone. Some of that is because they block field goals. And clubs and, and they, fumbles. <laughs> yeah, and clubs and fumbles. So they turn you over. So, I mean, they're just a, a nice team. They're also number one in the country in net punting. So they do well in controlling field position. Um, so, I mean, you don't look at them and see a lot of obvious weaknesses. You see a team that deserves to be ranked and that's going to have a lot of tests. You know, they're not in um, divisions anymore in the ACC. So they get a brunt of some pretty tough ACC games uh, this year. They have, besides playing Clemson, I believe they play Florida State. They play a lot of the better ACC team. So if they come out of this and they're in the ACC title game, they're going to deserve every bit of it. Yeah, I, I think the turnover margin was something that that I noted. They were ninth in turnover margin. Um, they, their average plus one point two five per game. With uh, they've uh, had eight turnovers, forced four fumble recoveries, and four interceptions. And they've only lost three fumbles. Uh, the Clemson game has helped them in those <laughs> categories with two red zone fumbles and an interception. Um, so three of their eight turnovers came against Clemson. Um, so we'll see what, what Notre Dame can do against that defense. Notre Dame has done a pretty good job of protecting the football offensively. So that wouldn't be a concern necessarily going into the game for Notre Dame's offense. But because Duke has done that defensively, you have to be be cognizant of it and something that um, – Certainly, when Duke is playing at home, turnovers can play a, a really big role in, in sort of getting the momentum in your way and getting the crowd fired up. couple really obvious Notre Dame connections. Mike Elko, who was at Notre Dame in 2017, was the hire right after Brian Van Gorder. And he's been good since then. He had four really good years at Texas A&M. Duke was okay on defense last year. They're much better this year. Everywhere he goes, he improves the defense. And then Jamion Franklin was a starter for Duke last year. I'm not sure that he's starting this year. He's got four tackles. He's played in every game. Tyler knows that family really well. Mm -hmm. Very interesting kid, very interesting story. So he played three years at Notre Dame. This is his third year at Duke. Um, anything you want to add on Jamion? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a story back at the South Bend Tribune about Jamion Franklin and, and helping out with his uh, father's recovery from cancer. Um, uh, needed a bone marrow transplant, and, and Jamion uh, went through that, which was a, a long yeah, and painful was process. Was the donor? Yeah, uh, he was. It, so he went through a long and painful process to help his father with that, and now his mother is actually um, fighting cancer as well. So it's been a a, a tough struggle for the Franklin family, but Jamion is. I believe a captain of the Duke team, um, and uh, and on has, the Good Works team for Allstate, yeah, and has done some good works with uh, good work uh, with the community and stuff like that. So, a definitely definitely a kid that it's easy to root for, um, and good to see that he's been able to sustain a, his college football career over at Duke, and it'll be interesting to see him playing against Notre Dame. So, um, I, I think we're in for quite the fun game on Saturday. Um, I think we all need to sort of get mentally prepared for that um, after after the late night of the Ohio State game. Um, I don't know if we want to get into the power of 10 right now, or it seems like I, I see some spats going on in the chat about uh, bigger picture things. Where do you want to go from here? I think we got to talk about the 10-man stuff. I mean, okay. We haven't talked about it, so I think okay. – I, I I think okay. Uh, let, we, let me what, boil it down quickly, and then we can go to some questions. Here, here's how I see it. First of all, I think a lot of the confusion on Saturday night, as far as getting the right questions to Marcus Freeman and getting the right information out to readers, was that Tyler James was one of the only few people in the media that actually knew about 
10 men on the field, not only for the last play, but the last two. I think a lot of us learn, including me in the press conference. I didn't know that until I got down there. I'll be honest about it. And some people thought it was just the last play and there. Then they're like, well, when did Marcus know? So we got clarity here. So let's set it up. Ohio State throws the ball to the one-yard line, and it's first and goal at the one, and the clock's running. Kyle McCord spikes the ball. Second and goal from the one with seven seconds left. Notre Dame calls timeout, their last one, because they want to see how Ohio State lines up, and they want to match that. So they, they see that, and after calling the timeout, then they send the 10 men out on the field. Ohio State runs a play. They throw a pass incomplete, three seconds left. Now, why didn't Notre Dame then substitute at that point? They still didn't know they had 10 men on the field at that point. Uh, Chip Trainum comes trotting on the field very late in that cycle. Notre Dame would have been allowed to substitute had they known. It wasn't until the play apparently was being run that they said, oh, wait a second. There's only 10 people out there. At that point, they would have gotten a penalty, and then it would have been a free play for Ohio State anyways that they could have, if they didn't get in, they they would take the penalty. If they did get in, they would decline. So it was a no-win situation. But I think the question is, when did Marcus know? When did the coaching staff know? And it wasn't until after Ohio State had substituted on the second play. So do we want to get to questions from there, or do you want me to go, here's Marcus's word salad from today, and here's what they're doing moving forward? Yeah, I mean, the only questions that we got about it was just, uh, Bob Alvey said, didn't they play with 10 men on defense for a play against Tennessee State? The answer is yes. Um, And then Jerry asked, can we be reasonably assured that the 10-man only situation will never happen again under Marcus Freeman? Okay, so what there, I don't think they can guarantee that there won't be 10 men, but if it's in the exact same situation, they now have a signal for a player to jump off sides and touch an offensive player, which would stop the play. Offsides doesn't always stop the play. It's like a free play if you don't run into a player because they won't whistle the play dead. So that's that's what they've added. But in order to maybe safeguard whose fault it was, Marcus didn't go into great detail about. Yeah, and Ron asked who is responsible for one less D lineman. Is it Washington or someone else? My guess, I don't think it's unfair for me to guess here. My guess it would be Al Washington, but I will say I don't know for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's the one that's evaluating their play from a play-to-play basis, and there's people up in the in the uh, press box that have a bird's eye view that can eat more easily see, Hey, we only got three defensive linemen out there. Now, granted in the press box, while it's happening live, I didn't see it happening either. Um, I, I was wrapped up in everything else, but I'm not like, I'm not looking at the four defensive linemen every play to make sure that they're doing the right thing and to give feedback of what they should be doing on the next play. The fact that they went two plays with it is totally unfathomable to me. Like how did that not get communicated down to the field to someone that could make that change? Um, is shocking to me. There are multiple people up in the press box that are defensive analysts or coaches or graduate assistants that should have had some sort of ability to recognize, hey, we only have 11 guys out there. Um, Sometimes you'll have someone on the field counting to make sure. Usually that happens more on special teams because there's more substitution. You usually don't have to worry about it coming out of a timeout. Like, hey, this is what we're doing. We're lining up a nickel. This is the four D linemen we're going to have out there. I don't know how that happens. I, I We're never going to get a good explanation for it. Um, but someone needed to be out there, and they weren't. Um, and I, I don't know what happened. I, to me, it was strange enough that, like you mentioned, Notre Dame calls the timeout and then runs its nickel defense out there in response to Ohio State running 12 personnel to begin with. I So I thought that was strange. Maybe there was something that happened there that, that caused the confusion. But uh, that was definitely something that can't happen. Notre Dame has to do whatever it can to make sure it doesn't happen again. But I, I think I counted. There was 30 seconds between the time where Ohio State snaps it of real time. Um, 
between the time Ohio State snaps the ball on what is second and goal after the the um, spike. the spike uh, for the throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. and then by the time the uh, official on the field who is pausing play to allow Notre Dame to get our sub onto the field because of Ohio State's late running back substitution. Um, and apparently within those 30 seconds, no one at Notre Dame was able to communicate to anyone on the sideline to get someone else out on the field for a defensive lineman to get out there. Um, and that's that just can't happen. They have to have a better plan to be able to make sure that they address that. Obviously, now they have a plan to – if that is the situation and they don't realize it soon enough, they can get an offsides penalty. Um, but it's just, uh, there's no really good way to give anyone slack for this situation. Like this is what people are paid for. This is what you're brought to on the team to do. And people weren't in those positions in the most important plays of the game. What I, I think it's fair game for fans to talk about this for and so forth, but Notre Dame, and I wrote this Saturday night and into Sunday morning, they have to move on from this. They have to be focused on Duke, and Marcus talked about the mentality that they need to have this week because contrary to some of the bickering that's going on in the chat, um, there's still a lot to play for this year. You still have Sam Hartman for the rest of the year. You better take advantage of it. And if Notre Dame wins its next three games, they're right back in the conversation. Now, they have to only be looking at this game. They can't be looking at Louisville and USC. But they've got two undefeated teams that follow Duke. Louisville could very well, if they win their next game, they could, if they're playing this week, they could be ranked in the top 25. USC certainly will be ranked in the top 10 unless they uh, get upset. And I don't. I don't anticipate that happening. So there's a lot, I think, still to play for for Notre Dame this year. I understand why people are disappointed. There was such a crescendo, such a frenzy about this game. It felt like something magical was about to happen. Right. And for almost the whole game, for 59 minutes, it kind of was. And then it wasn't in the final seconds. And so... But I still think that they can recover from this and uh, have it be a pretty pretty special season. But we'll see this week. This week is going to tell us a lot. Yeah, and Jay Golden asked, how did Marcus not know why or they were going to run it on the second play? Why not discuss that during the timeout? Um, I don't know. Marcus did say, I think it was after the game, that we yes, thought they would just pass it again. Um, but it's not like the players on the field acted like they didn't – like. They, were, they didn't seem surprised by a run. Like, they almost still stopped the play, but they didn't have a guy in the spot that would help them stop the play where that was most needed to do that. Um, so I I don't think – the fact that there just wasn't the guy out there is the problem, and I don't know. Uh, it's certainly, like, it's it, it's not a legitimate excuse to say, oh, we weren't worried about getting that 11th guy out there because they thought they were going to pass. Like, that. that is not – that is not – that excuse holds no weight at all. Uh, and I think it was – Marcus just trying to sort of process everything as it was happening um, soon after the game and figure out a way to explain how they let something so bad happen twice. Right. And, and it's ultimately his responsibility and he said as much, and he needs to take the hit for this in front of his team. He needs to land on the grenade on this, but a coach has processes in place. He's not the guy that's, counting players on the right. sidelines. He's got other things he's trying to process during that time. Yeah, and as for as much as we may want answers of how this happens, like it does Notre Dame no good to say, you know what? Gabriel Rubio was supposed to be out there. You know what? Al Washington should have counted the players. Like there's no reason to get in a finger-pointing contest publicly about this uh, to sort of pass the blame off on this. Marcus Freeman's going to take it, um, and they're going to have to figure out how, behind the scenes how to prevent it from happening in the future which shouldn't be that hard. Every Most teams get 11 players on the field for every play, um, but Notre Dame didn't um, for its final two defensive plays. Okay, are we going into overtime? Are we taking questions? Do we need to do a lightning round on some of our um, don't We don't have any other questions. The only thing I thought that would be worth going over since we didn't talk about the failed offensive series, I thought that was the one thing that we didn't talk okay. much about before. That, and that then led let's to, hit recruiting right after that real quick since there were so many commitments. 
Yeah, I, I, I'll just do quick highlights. I won't have a lot of information uh, to, to share, but we can do quick highlights and send people over to the website for the recruiting stuff. Okay, so Notre Dame has this huge stop on fourth and one at the 11-yard line, and they take over with, what, about four what left in the game? Four minutes and how much time, Tyler? Oh, um, I don't know that I have that number exactly. Okay, I'll look it up while you're jabbering. But what was your issues with what Notre Dame did? They didn't go three and out. You know, Audric Estime had a nice 11-yard run. They got it up to the 20 or 12-yard run. They got it up to the 23-yard line, and then they kind of stalled there. Yeah, so they, they came out. The first play was actually a throw to Rico Flores. And I was like, whoa, that was a little That's bold. Right. And, and uh, I think that was the one that gained 12 yards. And then Audric Estime runs for 11 yards. So you, you pick up first two first downs with your first two plays, which is good. Um and then Audrey Gestime leaves the game. Uh, they bring in their two running back set, which had some success throughout the game. I, I did go back and look at, okay, what did, what happened when Notre Dame ran this play earlier in the game? Because Notre Dame was using Devin Ford and Jeremiah Love together as a two-back set. Um, and I saw three different – two different times it was uh, the exact same play um, maybe it, a bunch of different sides. Notre Dame ran the same play to the left side on the final play of the first quarter. Jeremiah Love gains 10 yards. Um, in the second quarter, it was run to the right side for three yards, and that's what I think Notre Dame was trying to do on that first play. And you might not even know it was supposed to be – it was a very broken play. Like what ends up happening is JT Tuamolau gets penetration into the backfield and totally blows up the handoff situation – Pat Coogan cannot really get him out of the backfield with a pole block because they leave him blo unblocked at the end of the line of scrimmage. And then Pat Coogan is supposed to pull around and clear him out, but it all happened so fast that Coogan can't really do much about that. And Sam Hartman sort of makes the decision, at least for my read of what it looks like is happening. Now, I don't know if there was some other call that was happening there. That was a wrinkle off of the original play they ran earlier, but he just sort of eats it and then takes a five yard loss, which is not terrible in that situation, but certainly, puts Notre Dame back and then I think maybe causes you to think about throwing the ball on second down to try and get some of that back. Um, and Notre Dame throws a screen pass, which was nearly intercepted, which Notre Dame attempted a screen pass earlier in the game that was also nearly intercepted. So that, that play call, I think, is the one that will probably draw the most ire from folks. Um, and then third down is sort of just like a, a bit of a surrender run to finally eat some of that clock that you weren't really eating because of that second down and complete pass. Um, I just think you have to have Audrey Gestime out on the field. I think he's your lead back. You have him there for a reason. I run him behind Joe Alt for three straight plays and hope that gets me 10 yards. If it doesn't, at the at the worst, you're making Ohio State use all of its timeouts um, and, and eat a bunch of clock. What do, what do you think Notre Dame could have or should have done differently in that situation, Eric? Well, now, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> let, let me say... There was 4:12 on the clock when Notre Dame took over, and 1:26 left after the Bryce McPherson punt that Ohio State had. Yeah, I'd want to get them to use their timeouts, and if you're going to throw, I mean, something really safe and that you know you're going to complete that's going to keep the clock going. But yeah, I mean, I think Audric Estime in that situation—that's what I'm looking for. Um, so not get too cute. I, I do agree with Marcus, though. It's hard to to be just, okay, we're going to run him up the middle. I mean, I think you have to be a little bit creative, but you don't want to get too cute in that situation. And, uh, you know, I know that people want Notre Dame to be able to run the ball on anybody. Um, and even if they know it's coming, but I think Ohio State is one of those teams that you can't do that on that you have to be a little bit creative. But, yeah, Audric Estime, that's that's the money player there, I think. Well, Andrew Muller wants you to know that you guys better focus on Duke. Uh, great team. Feeling sorry for yourself could lead to more losses. I, I will inform Andrew this might be surprising that we have never impacted the outcome of a college football game as reporters. Um, so it doesn't really matter what we're focused on. It matters what the team is focused on. Okay. So – with recruiting, Notre Dame got three commitments over the weekend. Two of them were defensive ends. 
if they had stormed the field early, Notre Dame would have had plenty of one of them. That they would have plenty. If both of them did, then they would have had 12 men on the field, and that would have been a penalty. <laughs> yeah, so Notre Dame picked up uh, prior to the game a commitment from Daniel Anderson, a running back out of Arkansas, 2025 running back. So Notre Dame now has two running backs in his 2025 recruiting class with Justin Thurman and Daniel Anderson. Both are, both are four-star recruits um, that haven't been highly productive quite yet as, as running backs in their junior season, so hopefully they can pick that production up there um as for the defensive ends cj may out of alabama and joseph reef out of uh the chicago area um to or cj may is rated as a three-star recruit by rivals uh joseph reef has at, at too low according to eric and joseph reef is a three-star recruit or excuse me has not been rated yet um by rivals um and then today notre dame picked up a walk-on Commitment um, from Joseph Vinci out of uh, Illinois, as, or no, excuse me, Massachusetts. Uh, he will be a long snapper for Notre Dame. He's a 2024 recruit, um, one of the contenders to replace Michael Vinson next season. So a busy weekend. We'll have more reactions. Um, Charleston Bowles has a thread from after the game of uh, as many guys as you get a hold of to get the reactions of both the atmosphere and the result of the game and how Notre Dame played. Um, we'll be hearing more from those guys throughout the week. That is a good reason to be subscribed to InsideNDSports.com. As I mentioned at the top of the show and has been on the screen throughout, you can use code NDYT for a free 30-day trial at InsideNDSports.com. That gets you access to our all of our recruiting coverage, our the Insider on Message Board, which we tend to post all of our breaking news there first, and uh, also you get access to our premium analysis that we provide throughout the week as well. So plenty of reasons to subscribe to us over there. Make sure you are subscribed to us here on the Inside Indy Sports YouTube page to make sure you don't miss any of our free YouTube content. Um, we will be back later in the week with our Place Your Bet segments to preview the Duke game. Um, and then after the Duke game, we will have a post-game takeaways as well. Anything else you'd like to add, Eric? Thanks to Legacy Heating and Air for sponsoring us. And thanks for you guys for showing up. We, uh, Notre Dame, Ohio State, attracted 10.5 million viewers. We're hoping for just a small slice of that. <laughs> so thank you for helping us inch towards that goal of 10.5 million. Yeah, well, you think we'll be there by next season? Yeah, I think that seems reasonable, right? I would take the 0.1 million. <laughs> I would take that much. All right. We'll see what we can do. Well, thanks for everyone for joining. Um, and we appreciate your support and have a good week.